First Samuel 15, if you would please stand in honor of God's word here tonight. First Samuel chapter number 15, we'll continue in our series, When a Nation Needs Revival. When a nation needs revival, I believe we're finding some practical help here from the word of God. When a nation needs revival, right? And it's right here uh, in his word in First Samuel chapter number 15. That's where we are. So I'm going to begin reading in in uh, verse number one, then we'll drop down for the sake of time and uh, read verses seven through 23. So let's just get started here tonight. First Samuel and chapter 15, verse number one. Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, what's the next word? Hearken. Hearken. That word is repeated. It's either hear or hearken or it's even obey in certain verses that are here. The Hebrew word that is translated here, hearken. Thou shalt hearken, hearken thou rather unto the voice of the words of the Lord. And then God gives him very clear instructions that he's to deal with the Amalekites. And we saw that last week. We'll review that a little bit. But God was, it was time for God to bring judgment upon the Amalekites. The cup of wrath was now full. God had given them space because he's a merciful and gracious God to allow people the opportunity to repent. They had not repented and God had not forgotten, of course, what they did to the Israelites as they were traveling from Egypt. They were the first group to attack the Israelites. And God, God told Abraham way before they were brought out of Egypt, he said that those who bless you, I'll bless and those that curse you, I'll what? I'll curse, and this is exactly what's going on as we read the, the account of the Word of God. So we're not reading about genocide. We're not reading about a vindictive God. We're actually reading about a God who's righteous, just, and holy and can't do otherwise. And so that's what we're reading about. So now it's very clear God told Saul to totally wipe them out. The sheep, the oxen, the, 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 the inhabitants of the land, God's judgment was falling upon them. Well, Saul was doing real good for a little while. Verse number seven, it says, and, sm and small, nope. <laughs> Saul smote <laughs> the Amalekites from Havilah, even un until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. Well, don't you wish it just ended right there? That he did what he was supposed to do? Then it says this, and he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive took him alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Notice this verse 9, pay very close attention to it. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. So let me just ask you right quick, was Saul in on that? He was in on that. It says Saul and the people spared Agag and the best choice, the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not only destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. They kept the best for themselves, didn't they? Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel saying, it repenteth me that I've set up Saul to be king for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. 
And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place. We'll review that here in just a few moments. And is gone about. So evidently, um, let me get your attention here just a moment before we keep reading. Evidently, they were to meet up in Carmel, but Saul had already set up his monument and moved on. Um, it almost gives you the idea maybe he's avoiding Samuel. Because, you know, when you haven't done right, you're not really just absolutely thrilled to see mom and dad. <laughs> or preacher. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, he went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. Good to see you. <laughs> Samuel, I, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Right there, we heard it. Remember that? And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they, the people, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, the people spared. Now, verse nine told us Saul was in on that, right? The people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God and the rest we, notice the pronoun shift, they did this, we utterly destroyed them. We tend to make ourselves look better than we are. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay, hang, hang on, stay, stop, stay. Hush, quit talking, stay. And I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said unto him, say on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, Wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey. What notice that right there? Verse 18. And the Lord sent thee on a journey. He sent you on a mission. He sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil? And it is evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've obeyed God. What are you talking about? I've obeyed him. I've gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I mean, he's just delusional or he's really a good actor. Or both. And brought Agag the king... Uh, of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. They did that to, but hey, you ought to be proud of this. You ought to be proud of them. They did this to sacrifice in the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Oh my, the words of Samuel have echoed, echoed through time and have helped us all if we'll pay attention to them. We'll help us all if we'll pay attention to it here tonight. Verse number 22, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, 
To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat. That'd be the best part of it. You know, like when you eat a ribeye, the fat of rams. To hearken is better than the fat of rams. For, notice verse 23, please. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, friends. That is serious sin. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. The title of the message tonight, and we're really doing a part two here tonight, the completely rebellious nature of partial obedience. The completely rebellious nature of partial obedience. Part one was this, selective obedience rules you out of God's will. Selective obedience. If you select what you're going to obey and what you're not going to obey, that'll rule you out of God's will in a hurry. Selective obedience rules you out of God's will. Here's part two. An argumentative, self-defensive spirit keeps you out of God's will. Selective obedience will get you out of God's will. An argumentative, self-defensive spirit keeps you out of God's will. How many of you think we might need to hear some of this here tonight? So may God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's get right to it. <clears throat> it's very clear that God had given Saul a very significant and special assignment. I mean, it really was. When you, when you pause to consider that God had prophesied in the days of Moses that he was going to deal with the Amalekites and that he chose... Saul, even a, a king who had had failure in his life, he chose him to be the one that would carry out that mission. I mean, really, that's, that's quite significant that God chose Saul rather than anybody else to carry this out. I, I, uh, I see some significance there in Saul's life. And, and um, we've already covered as to, you know, the, the fact that God was going to deal with them as, as the Amalekites and their sinfulness and as to why and and, and the opportunity that Saul had came with responsibility. Clear responsibility. I mean, it, I like verse 18. I try to draw your attention to it. The Lord sent you on a journey. He sent thee on a journey. God, God gave you a clear mission. And I, I believe tonight that a big part of our problem is not a lack of knowledge. It's a lack of submission. We know what God wants us to do, but we struggle to do it consistently and completely. Okay. So Saul was very clear. I believe it is. He's very clear on what he was supposed to do. Everything was progressing as, as uh, God had told Saul they were destroying the Amalekites until he came to Agag and, and Saul thought, you know, why don't we, uh, hang on just a minute. Let's spare him. I believe out of pride and, and um, certainly, certainly out of self-will. By the way, how do, you, how do you disconnect those two? Pride and self-will so intertwined. Knowing what God clearly said and yet wanting to do what you want to do. 
That's pride and it's self-will. So he spared Agag and he spared all the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and so forth. And what he did displeased God. There's no doubt about that, that it absolutely displeased the Lord. And, And so then Saul, he goes to Carmel and he sets up a a monument in his own honor. I mean, truly, that's what it is. When you, when you look at it, he made him a place, literally. He, he made a monument that was to be, look, I, I brought us victory here. This is a, I mean, this is like a memorial service that he conducted to himself. He did that there. And then he, went, he rushed on down to Gilgal to try to offer sacrifice there. But, but hang on, wait, before we rush past that, we all need to take heed to this. He put himself first ahead of God. He put his own recognition ahead of God and then his own, he's going on down to Gilgal and he's thinking, I'm going to offer up some sacrifices to God regardless of what God had said. And then he's met by, uh, by Samuel and he says, blessed be thou the Lord, acting like everything was A-OK. And then he blamed others. Well, the people, they wanted to spare all the best of the sheep and the lambs and and, um, and so that's what we did. But, but hey, 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 we're going to offer him up as a sacrifice to the Lord thy God. We saw last time as we were together that when he selected what he was going to obey, he, elect, he elected himself to be in charge. And when you and I select what we're going to obey and what we're not going to obey, then we're really setting ourselves up as the boss, as the as the master, as the Lord, we're deciding, well, I'll obey this, but hey, this is no big deal. Well, evidently it was a big deal. It was a big deal to God. And so what we're seeing tonight is that no, no amount of service or no quality of service, sacrificial or whatever it may be, is going to make up for a lack of submission. No lack of service, I'm sorry, no service, even sacrificial service, will make up for a lack of submission. And Paul, Saul could say, well, hey, I'm, I mean, come on. I mean, overall, I'm serving God right here. I, I mean, pretty much, I did what God said to do. Um, I mean, is it enough that we wiped out all of them? Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, we spared Agag and we spared the best of the sheep. But, I mean, my service ought to make up for my lack of submission. My service, what I did, what I'm doing, who I am, who I am, where I am, where I'm placed, what I'm doing. That ought to make up for my lack of Submission. I was uh, working at O'Reilly's and, and uh, working in the warehouse. And so, you know, I was trying to take occasion to be a witness where I could to some of my coworkers. And, and uh, so anyways, I was, uh, I was clocked in and I was, you know, we were uh, stocking shelves with car parts. And, and my boss came to me and he pulled me aside and he said, hey, um, you're talking too much. That's what he said. He said, you're talking too much. We, we, we don't have you on the clock and paying you to talk. <laughs> now, he didn't say it quite like that. But he pulled me aside and said, um, you know, you're, 
you, you need to stay on task. You're talking too much. Well, I'll have you know, I am sharing the gospel. And that's way more important than AC Delco and Fram and all the other car parts that are here. Don't you know? Well, I, I didn't say that. I thought that. I didn't say it because truly I was clocked in working for O'Reilly's. I'm supposed to be serving the Lord and there's opportunity to serve. And he, and he told me, he said, it's okay that you have some conversation, but you, you got to work. And so my, my service did not compensate or make up for a lack of submission on my part, even if it was sharing the gospel. You say, well, the heathen workplace should have let you share the gospel. Well, what am I there to do? I'm there to work. I, I mean, really, truly, they had a point. And I could play the gospel card and say, hey, God called me to preach, brother, don't you know? He didn't call me to put car parts on a shelf. Cocking a little attitude. I was working a bus route. Uh, this would be my freshman year in Bible college. And, and one of the rules on us as a Bible college students was we were supposed to wear a tie uh, as we're serving, you know, in the ministry and working at our local churches that were there in Springfield. And, but, you know, I'd been, I'd been doing it long enough to know that kids on the bus route find a tie to be pretty much like a swing. It was almost like, you know, a kid would swing from one side of the bus to the other side of the bus on my tie. So that day I decided I'm not wearing a tie. So I did not. And I got rode up by Matt Squealer. Matt Wheeler. Wheeler. <laughs> Wrote me up for not. Come on. Here I am. Where's Matt Squealer when the bus route rolls? Wheeler, where's Matt Wheeler when the, when the wheels are rolling on the buses? Where's Matt Wheeler? Oh no, he's not serving in the bus minister. Here I am serving in the bus minister and you're going to write me up for not wearing a tie? I'll have you know I'm serving the Lord. <laughs> I got a bad attitude about it secretly. And later I had to go to him and said, Matt, Brother Matt, by the way, Matt was a really good guy. I haven't talked to him in years, but he was really. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I'm still bitter. Right? <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> Truly our paths just haven't crossed, but, but <laughs> that's terrible. Uh, I had to go to him. He was my RA. And I said, Matt, I, I got to tell you, I, in fact, let me just ask you to forgive me because I had a wrong spirit towards you. You're right. I'm supposed to wear a tie and I didn't do it. You're right to write me up. You know what I did the rest of the semester? I wore a tie. I mean, I, I'm not real thrilled about it now, but I... <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, the issue was not so much, should you wear a tie, should you not wear a tie? The issue was more this. I signed on to that. I knew what I was supposed to do as a student of Baptist Bible College. I knew what they expected of me. And you say, yeah, the bunch of legalists. Hey, you know, look, I, I walked into that. So maybe you have parents that tell you when to go to bed or when to get up, or you're in a college that tells you when to go to bed and when to get up. You say, you know, they treat us like kids. Well, I'll tell you what, dude, join the military. 
They gonna let you stay up all night? Brother, sister, bucko, bucket. <laughs> Is that the feminine form of bucko? I don't know. <laughs> I, I best move on right here. But you, you see what I'm saying? You say, well, man, that's just, they just treat us like a bunch of kids. Well, how are you acting? I mean, really, you stop and think about it, man, tie, no tie, curfew, sign in, sign out, do this, do that. They expect us to be up there in the choir if, if we're supposed to be in the choir. <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? I mean, because, and we can think, well, hey, look, I'm serving God my way. Do you smell it? You smell it? I smell smoke coming up off of the sacrifice in Gilgal. Ooh, take another whiff. That's good stuff. I mean, that's like, that's fat. That, that's, some, that's some good fat of rams and, and, and fat of the sheep. Oh man, that's good stuff they're offering up. And God smells it. Yeah, it stinks. It has a stench to it. You know why? Because no amount of service will compensate or make up for a lack of submission. And, and Saul says, blessed be thou the Lord, Samuel. Let me tell you, man, I've been busy doing God's will. What, what is all this that I'm hearing? Well, I mean, you know, the people, they wanted to spare all the best of the sheep. And, and, uh, but, I, you know, we spared, yeah, I spared Agag. But, I mean, I wiped, we wiped out the rest of them. Stop. Stay. That's what he said, stay. Now, I, I don't know. And those that I read after, they, they didn't indicate that they knew for sure. But the word stay means stop. So it could be this. I, I kind of have it in my mind's eye that here's, here's Saul having a conversation with Samuel. And he says, yeah, I, I know, I know. Have you ever seen a kid do that? Or maybe you did that as a kid as your parents are trying to correct you about some disobedience or some rebellion in your life. And, and you start to walk away and you kind of give them the shoulder. You, you, hey, hey, come back here. How many of you have done that? <laughs> okay, finally, I saw some hands going up of honest people. Yeah, but I don't want to tell everybody about it right now. I don't know. It may be that he was walking away, kind of pulling away. I want to ask you tonight, are you pulling away from, from God or are you, are you pulling towards God? And Samuel, I don't know. It could be stay in the sense of, hey, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. We're not done talking here. We're not, we're not done talking about this. We're not done dealing with this. It could be that, or it could just simply be this. Saul was going 90 to nothing about how innocent he was, and, and Samuel just says, stay your mouth. Hush. Stop. Cease. Desist. Hang on. There's another word. Just stop right there. Because, you know, when you're guilty, you try to speak a lot to proclaim your own innocence. And so Samuel uh, begins to deal with, with Saul and he says, stay and, and, and let's, let's deal with this. Wait a minute. Hang on. I, I've got it. There's, there's something we need to deal with right here because I'm telling you, it's all of us that, are, that deal with this. There was a breach that came between Samuel and Saul and it wasn't a personality conflict. 
It wasn't that way. It wasn't like, it wasn't like uh, Samuel had some, some kind of a vendetta against Saul. You say, well, he could have because, you know, the people didn't want Saul, to, Samuel rather, to, to be the leader anymore. So maybe he's kind of upset still with Saul. No, wait a minute. I, I find evidence that actually, listen, I find evidence that, that Samuel cared deeply for Saul and he certainly cared deeply for the nation. But here's what happens for all of us. Whenever rebellion comes in, it puts a breach between you and the people that really care about you. Just like it was with me and Matt Wheeler, I, I mean, a breach came. And he, I mean, the, <laughs> to go back to that, the very first person that I met at Baptist Bible College was Matt Wheeler, who helped me carry my boxes up three flights of stairs to go to the floor. I mean, he showed me the love of Christ. And yet my spirit kind of got sideways with him because he wrote me up. Well, wait a minute. The same one who wrote me up is the same one who helped me carry my stuff up to the floor. He loved me. He cared about me. In fact, he cared about me enough to help me see where I had lacked in submission. And you ought to thank God for somebody in your life, whether it is your parents or a preacher or a spiritual leader or a godly friend. Just don't let your spirit get crossways with them where there's a breach now between you because that's not going to help you and it's not going to help God's work in your life. I enjoyed the testimony this past week from Brother Kenny Hainline. He grew up here, so I think that you would appreciate this as well. We'd asked him to give testimony during college days, and here's what he said. He said, you're not going to like Heartland. You're not going to like the classes there. You're not going to like the, the administration. You're not going to like the professors. I thought, good night. <laughs> Who asked him? But then he made this powerful point. You're not going to like Heartland and the classes and the spiritual leadership that's there as long as your heart's not right with God. He said, once I got my heart right with God, I actually started liking the classes and liking the school and liking the administration. Hey, stay just a minute. Think just a minute. You know, um, can we just... Can we just speak pretty frankly here tonight? Amen. Straightforwardly here tonight? Because um, when there is a rebellious spirit, you don't have a desire to discuss matters with spiritual leaders, but you don't mind to go online. A lot of people, it's amazing to me, people that don't mind going online won't come in an office. And they sure don't take the trouble to make their way down to the altar. But they'll go online and tell everybody about how bad that church was and how they were mistreated and how they were, how that's a legalistic church. But won't make the effort to come to the altar. I wonder if there's a spiritual problem right there. And I'm not, I don't have anybody in my sight. So you think, man, he's, he's, he's preaching at somebody. No, no, it's just, that's the rebellious nature that we all have. And so Samuel told him, you know, stop, stop talking because you're just digging a deeper hole. You ever been there before? In a staff meeting or in a <laughs> meeting with your supervisor and you begin to give all these excuses. And next, the thing you're doing is you're just digging, digging deeper. You know what you ought to do? Just, just stop. Say, so you know you're right. 
When you were little in your sight, Saul, God set you up as king. Remember when Saul was hiding among the stuff? Well, now he's no longer hiding among the stuff. He's building a big old monument to himself. He went from a hiding behind the wagons to a monument builder. In fact, uh, verse 18, instead of becoming part of the solution, Saul's rebellion actually became part of the problem. He was there to destroy wickedness among the Amalekites. But while he was there to destroy wickedness among the Amalekites, he was actually doing wickedness. Isn't it sad that even some that have preached against sexual sin add to the problem of sexual sin by their own infidelity? It's sad uh, tonight when Christians who are supposed to be reconciling the world to Christ are part of the rebellion against Him. Rebellion in verse 19 is doing evil in God's sight. Look at verse 19 again as he says, Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? Why, why did you, you're not obeying the voice of the Lord and you're not doing right in the sight of the God. I just want to ask you here tonight, I, I'm trusting that God can use this passage, this time, this message, this opportunity to cause everybody here to just simply ask yourself the question, are you doing right in the sight of God? I'm not asking, are you doing right in the sight of your friends or right in the sight of, of America or in the sight of somebody else, but are you doing right in the sight of the Lord? Look at verse number 20. Saul said to Samuel, yeah, I have obeyed the voice. Don't you know his voice had to go up right there? I've obeyed God. He probably squealed a little bit, don't you think? I've obeyed God. What are you talking about? Man, we wiped out the Amalekites. Here's what he did. He began to argue. In fact, he outright lied. He outright lied about it. He says, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. No, you did not. He had not obeyed the voice of the Lord and he knew it. How could such a sinful man say such a thing? How could he, how could he act like everything's okay with God? How could he defend his actions? How could he become so argumentative and so self-defensive? Well, that's exactly the same way that you and I can be as well. When we're confronted about our wrong, we can become argumentative and we can become very self-defensive and we can even lie and say, oh no, I've done that. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and not be doing it. Um, we were on our way home this afternoon and uh, Trevor was driving and we saw this, uh, this vehicle and um, man, the, the, the wheel well on the left side, driver's side and part of the, part of the, um, the bumper was, was like he'd run into something and, and it like caused it all to come out and about a foot was sticking out. <laughs> Seriously, am I right, Trevor, where yet? It was sticking out about a foot. And, 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 and Trevor asked the question. In fact, I, I jotted it down. I was studying. This is a benefit to him driving. I get to study more. And, and, and he asked this, um, how can you drive your car when it looks like that? That's a brilliant question. I mean, seriously, so, this, so let's say this is the, the bumper of the car. I mean, it's, it's sticking out about like this. I mean, you got like, you talk about road rage, you want to hurt somebody. You could, you could do that, you know, just kind of crowd them off. I mean, this big old metal sticking out here. And, and, and 
How can you drive your car when it's looking like that? And then he, he or I said, you think he knows? And, and so I, I asked that, you think he knows? Maybe he doesn't know. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't know. Well, all you got to do is just look in your mirror, your side mirror, and you see Sticking out on the left-hand side, you'd surely know. And there he was going into where he was going to go eat. He knew it, and yet he was driving on like everything's all right. That's exactly what Saul was doing. He was just driving on like everything's all right. I'm serving God. I'm in my place. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what? There's no denying it. Facts are stubborn things, uh, William Blake, he said, facts are stubborn things and they make quick work of dishonesty. Facts are stubborn things. There was no denying the bleeding of the sheep. There was no denying the lowing of the oxen. There was no denying the presence of Agag. Facts are stubborn things. There's no denying it. Really, this is an indictment against Saul's own leadership when he tried to blame the other people. Verse 21, he says, you know, the people wanted to do this. Well, he's in charge. And so leaders, I say to dads here tonight, um, we can't just say, well, that, that's them. But what are we permitting? Saul permitted it. In fact, you kind of get the idea of this. Saul looked at Samuel and almost to say it this way, you know what, you ought to be pleased with how things are here. Because, I mean, the Amalekites have been nearly wiped out and, and the sheep, the best of them, are about to be offered up to God. You ought to be absolutely pleased with how things are. I remember reading... Um, uh, a book just on, on um, a dangerous calling by Paul David Tripp. And he, he confessed that even as a young preacher and, and pastor and husband, that he had an anger problem. He had an anger problem. And his wife talked to him about it because he had an anger problem. Here he is, a preacher, and he's got an anger problem. And he said this to his wife. He said, 95% of the women in this church would be glad to be married to me. You know what she said? She said, I'm in the 5%. You know, he was saying, hey, I'm a preacher. Yeah, so what? I got a little problem here. But I'm telling you, no amount of service will compensate for a lack of submission. And, and none of us are exempt from being submissive to God. None of us, regardless of our time in the ministry or our position or who we are, there is no one here that is above God's rules. Well, God was not pleased. And he said this in verse 22. Let's look at it here. And I'm not, I'm not going to be real long right here, but this is, these are powerful verses that we all need to really take in. Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, there's not, enough, there's not an amount of smoke going up in Gilgal that's going to compensate for you being disobedient to God here, Samuel. Saul. 
It's not going to compensate for it. Because, uh, yeah, pagan religions might be okay with that. As long as you're offering up sacrifice, you can live in any way you want to. But God doesn't allow for that. Baal might be okay with it. Other modern religions, Catholicism might be okay with it. Other religions may be okay with it. You just live in a way as long as you're given. But God doesn't operate that way. Sacrifice was never envisioned to be a substitute for obedience. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. He said this, the Lord wants living obedience from the heart, not dead animals on the altar. I mean, this, this is repeated. This is, this is in the Psalms, like Psalm 40, Psalm 51, Psalm 50, Isaiah 1, Amos. In fact, in Amos, God says, stop, stop the song, stop the music. I don't want to hear it anymore because they were, they were singing the songs, but they weren't obeying God. And God says, I'm not pleased with your music. And no doubt it probably sounded great. It probably sounded fantastic. But listen, if it's not backed up by a life that is being lived in obedience to God, then God's not pleased with, with your preaching. He's not pleased with your teaching. He's not pleased with your bus working. He's not pleased with your soul winning effort. He's not pleased with your music. If all the while in the, in the dark, in the secret places, you're living in, a, in, a, in an ungodly way and you're cutting yourself some slack, I'm telling you, God's not pleased with it. Because rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion, I mean that, that affront to God. and Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What, what does that mean even? What, what does it mean? Well, I believe for sure what he's intending to say here is just simply this. That listen, how serious was God about, how serious was God about witchcraft, uh, necromancy and soothsayers and, and those that uh, did divination and such? How serious was God about that? Well, God was very serious about those that did divination. As you read in Deuteronomy chapter 18 of the passages, it makes it abundantly clear that God takes divination and witchcraft very seriously. But here's, here's Samuel's point. Listen, don't you understand tonight, don't you understand today that just that God also takes your rebellion as the sin of witchcraft? Because in witchcraft, you're conjuring up a bunch of evil spirits. But when you disobey God, your spirit is not right. It's as a sin of witchcraft. And, and then he says, uh, stubbornness is as idolatry because idolatry removes the true and living God and sets up another God to be worshiped. And he says, your stubbornness, your stubborn ways, your insubordination, your, your um, high-mindedness, your thinking that you're above what God wants you to do, that you can get away with what you want to get away with. As long as I'm serving God, I can live any way that I want to. As long as you have that stubborn spirit and attitude, God says, listen, you're, you're putting your self ahead of me. It says idolatry. And so what we're seeing right here tonight is that God was very obviously displeased with, with Saul's rebellion because his service did not make up for his lack of submission. And what I'm trying to get across to every one of us tonight by way of a reminder or by way of a rebuke is that our service, your service, who you are and what you do does not make up for a lack of submission to God. Is there, did everybody hear that? Who you are and what you do does not make up for a lack of submission to God. God deserves our submission in every area. And our service to Him is not, it may make you feel better, but it does not make Him pleased if there's a lack of submission. Let me ask you some questions here tonight. And I want you to really stop and think about this. 
Is there a strained relationship between you and someone who cares deeply about you that's a, a spiritual leader in your life? Is there a breach that's there? Can you think through that? If there is tonight, then I implore you, get that right. Get that right. Get in a place of submission. Yeah, but they... No, 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 no. No. But what about... No, 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 no. Don't go. Go right here. Have you been submissive? Yeah, but it's dumb that you have to wear a tie when you work a bus route. Hey, we're not talking about the rightness of the rule. We're talking about the right of the people to rule. Are you submissive? Are you submissive? Or do you need to get right with Matt Wheeler? I think I'm going to call him. So anyways. <laughs> Question two. Are you pulling away? Or are you moving to those who care about you? Are you pulling away? You, you following me? Are you pulling away? Are you pulling away? Or are you open to listen? Are you contributing to the solution? Or are you part of the rebellion? Well, we all struggle right there with rebellion, don't we? Let's be honest. Number four, are you being argumentative towards someone who's trying to help you get back into God's will? Can we agree with this tonight? Isn't it so much better when, you, when you've done wrong that you confess that and, intend, and, and with God's help forsake it and you say to those that are caring for you, um, I have no excuse for my action. It was wrong and I ask God to forgive me and I ask you to forgive me. I'm telling you, those have been some very sweet conversations that I've had on that side of it when I've been in the wrong and I've got things right. And it's also been very delightful when it goes that way with someone that knows that they've got out of line, but they want to get back in. But some of the most difficult and uncomfortable and, and uh, um, sad conversations I've had is when people try to defend their wrong and their rebellious spirit. It gets weird. Number five, simply this, are you being self-defensive? Are you being self-defensive? In what way is your spirit keeping you from God's will? Are you being self-defensive? Boy, I, all of us can struggle there. Are, are, we, are you in any way being self-defensive? In what way is your spirit, your attitude, your spirit keeping you from God's will? Number six, if that's where we are, are you overlooking what is obvious to everyone else? How can you drive your car like that? How can you live your life like that? <laughs> it's obvious to everybody else. It's obvious to everybody else that you, you've got a bad attitude. Or it's obvious to everybody else that you're rebellious. It's obvious to everybody else that you're out of God's will. It's obvious to everybody else. And it's obvious to you, you're just not being honest to yourself. 
Are you blaming others for your actions? That's the next question I wanted to ask and everybody to consider. Are you blaming others for your actions? The next one is this. Do you think others ought to be pleased with you even though you haven't been obedient to the Lord? Do you think others ought to be pleased with you even though you haven't been obedient to the Lord? Are you saying, well, at least I'm not a drunk. Hey, hey, at least I'm in church. That's good. But have you been obedient to the Lord? Is there any way that you're trying to make up for your lack of obedience with service in other areas? To kind of soothe your conscience a little bit? Maybe make up for the wrong you've done. By the way, you can never make up for the wrong you've done. All you can do is just accept the forgiveness that's provided through the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood. Praise His name that He provided that. Let me ask this. Do you have the right spirit in obeying and submitting to your authority? I believe that in our country today and even within our job places and in our school systems, uh, even in Christian school systems and in churches, that there's a problem with authority and being submissive to authority. I'm not saying that authority is always in the right. Everybody get that? But do you have a right spirit in obeying and submitting to your authority? Two more questions. In what way is stubbornness keeping you out of God's will? In what way is stubbornness keeping you from God's will? And finally, in what way are you elevating your will above God's will? In what way or ways are you elevating your will above God's will? Because your service does not make up for a lack of submission. An argumentative, self-defensive spirit keeps you out of God's will. Yeah, but I'm sharing the gospel there at O'Reilly's. What right do they have to tell me that I'm talking too much? Hey, get under submission. God will open some doors for you to share the gospel. And that's what happened. Can't believe he wrote me up for not wearing a tie. Good night. Doesn't he know how much I'm sacrificing by getting on this bus about eight o'clock in the morning or earlier? Everybody hear that? I said it under my breath. Because there's a lot of things we'd never say out loud that we said under our breath that really we need to deal with at the heart level to say, God, my spirit's not right here. Help me. Father, tonight, thank you. Um, for preserving this for us to see ourselves in the mirror of your word. And sometimes it's, um, it's not easy to take a good look and to see just how that we're a lot like Saul. God, I pray that you'd help us to be in a place of just submission to you, complete submission to you, listening and obeying, fulfilling what you said to do with no hidden sin, with the right spirit. God, uh, you're worthy of all that. I pray that you would help us, Lord, purge us of rebellious attitudes and spirit. I pray, dear God, that you would work in the invitation here tonight and help us just to be completely obedient to you, not partially obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here tonight. God has uh, worked in your heart and life. He's pinpointed something.
And you ought to respond to him. Have a submissive spirit to whatever God has pointed out. Would you just have that submissive spirit? He, he's pleased with that spirit. He resists the proud, but he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble.